what I mean is, um, how could God choose such a test? And it's hard to say what it means that if you're successful, I mean, why would anybody want to be successful at killing his own son? Or, uh, you take the alternative position. You could say, well, if God says do it, so you do it. It's because, um, because God is not limited in the way we are limited. So that if God says, Yitzchak is going to be your son and the father of many descendants, so he will be. Uh, what difference is making you kill him? And what sort of test is it? So the, um, the, there's just a few sukim that I would like us to kind of remind ourselves of. If you look at the, the text, the text on... Uh, so the word Nisa sounds like the Hebrew word Nisayon. And the Hebrew word Nisayon is often translated as a test. Like, let's see you do this. Let's see you jump off the roof. I mean, uh, Adam Avinu had already been tested many times. This is the last of the tests of Abraham of Eden. But you know that when Abraham was still in, uh, in Orkastim, uh, Nimrod threw him into the fiery furnace, right? Which was apparently an exciting kind of event in those days. And, and Abraham of Eden came out of it just fine. He had no qualms about being killed for God. And so here, relatively sad Abraham. Well, I don't know. So let's look at this first Rashi. First Rashi is programmatic. And uh, you know that Rashi, Rashi like, tells the story a little bit differently. That's why it's interesting to learn Rashi. Because the words of the Torah are often insufficient for a deeper understanding. And Rashi wanted to help us and tell us well, this is what really was going on. So look at the Rashi. So Rashi relates to the fact that the story begins by he as though there was some connection between what took place previously and what's taking place now. So you say by he, and so it came to be. It's important to know that this is connected to what preceded it. That's why it says, it's not just a, a, a kind of idle comment, but it means this is important to know. So what does Rashi say? Achar after the Satan had its say. Satan is Satan. Satan is a, uh, Satan is like a, uh, a straw man. You know, I'm not sure he really exists, but he uh, kind of redirects our thinking about things. He redirects our thinking, like uh, in the beginning of Eov, you remember the story that the Satan came and said to God, well, Eov, he's a great guy, but you have to understand, yes, he's rich. He's rich, he's got a nice house, he's got a large family. Uh, if he didn't have all of those things, then he wouldn't be such a nice guy. So the Satan, the, uh, the event called the Satan speaking, 
may not be relevant to anything. It, it, it doesn't mean that there was actually a satan, but it could be that this is the thinking that God wanted to change in us. In other words, we also think that way, don't we? Or we say, oh, he's a righteous person. I mean, I'm saying that, even though usually it's the women who are righteous, but he's a righteous person and he spends money in shul, you know, like, as a proof of righteousness. But if you have a lot of money, it's not that hard to spend money in shul because you get some kind of benefit from it. So Rashi says, Yesh Satan. Now, what did the Satan say? Shayami Katrei Omer. Are you there? Are you with me? The first line of the Rashi. What do you think? So the Satan is there, and he looks at the history of Avram Avinu, right, which is mostly in the Parashah, Lechlecha, that we read last week. And we see that there are no sacrifices. You know that? There was never a sacrifice. That Avram Avinu built a Mizbeach, and another Mizbeach, and another Mizbeach, like altars, but no sacrifices. He never, never gave a sacrifice. Who gave the first sacrifice according to what's written in the Torah? No. Cain and Heather, right? Cain and Heather. According to Chazal, according to Adam Arishon, also gave a sacrifice. So we have Adam Arishon, if we include the Chazal, we have Cain and Heather, no. and who else? No. And Noah. Everybody. So everybody gave sacrifices. How come Abraham Avinu didn't give a sacrifice? That's a question. So look at the Satan and says, says, look, Abraham Avinu, he may be very uh, good in philosophy and ideology and thought, thinking about things, but he never gave a sacrifice, which means he never thanked God formally for all the goodness that came to him since he was in Eretz Canaan. That's what the Satan says. Who's the Satan? Me. Like I'm the Satan. I look at the, I look at the, at the story, but I think, well, how come Avraham Avinu is not, is not from? Right? How come he doesn't do this or do that? That's what I say to myself. He says, Avarlo, Klum Asa Ela Bishvil So God said, after all, you know that everything that Avraham Avinu did, he did for his son Yitzchak. Right? You loved Yitzchak more than anyone else and more than anything else. So it means Akadosh Baruch agrees that he has not done any sacrifice for him? No, 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 no. Akadosh Baruch says that you're misreading it. You don't know who Avraham Avinu really is. Because Avraham Avinu has a very profound interest in his son. It was like a, he, gave, he had a son when he was a hundred years old. And it's a long wait if you discount Yishmael. So he says, Asher Hayiti Omer Lo so now, you say, according to this Rashi, Rashi says that God said to the Satan, if I told Avram Avinu the sacrifice, was like a dare. You know, the Satan dared him, him God. And God said, if I told Avram Avinu to sacrifice his son, he would sacrifice his son, not a problem, not an issue, right? Not an issue at all. So, uh, okay. So that's how it happened. In, in, in other words, it was all the Nisyon note, apparently, according to this Rashi, all the Nisyon come to tell me something about Avram Avinu. 
Not something that God didn't know, but something that I wasn't sure about. I meaning the sata in me, right? This kind of uh, annoying way that I have to be critical of things and not to be satisfied with the honor going to somebody else. That's me. So the Satan in me said, well, what makes Avram Avinu so special? He didn't give any money uh, for sacrifices. He didn't thank God. So God says to him, look, let's make the ultimate kind of test and then you'll know you the Satan, you the Satan, me, us, will know who Avram Avinu really who Avinu really is. And that's why the word Nisa is chosen. Right, the word Nisa is chosen because in Hebrew the word Nes has two meanings. It could be three meanings, right? Nisa Yom is a test, a Nes is a miracle, and a Nes is also a banner of flag. Right, right. Just, I'm sorry. Banner is good, flag is good. In other words, you identify yourself. God said, I want Avram Avinu to identify himself so that everybody will know who he is. Of course, that shot is belied by the fact that Akedat Yitzchak, unlike Stonva Amora, Akedat Yitzchak was a very private affair. As far as we know, the audience to Akedat uh, Yitzchak uh, was an angel and a ram. I'm not sure that that is exactly proof that we get the word out about who Avram Avinu was but that's what Rashi said Rashi said it's going to get out people are going to find out it's, 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 even though it was a private affair it's something that people will know ultimately yeah we don't live in a time of uh, in a time of you know hearing Hashem we don't well maybe but you have to check it out. You can say, I have never heard Hashem, but there may be people in all kinds of nutty places who are listening all the time. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to give you a hard time. I have to believe that if Hashem is speaking, it's Hashem is that he couldn't get mixed up with what he was hearing. It's almost like, if, if God tells you that he doesn't, to jump off the roof, you should, because it's such a different uh, voice, it's a different uh, kabbalah. Yeah, you, you, you mean that it's most big deal for Adam of to do it? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Anyway, get back to the Pasuk. So Rashi provided us a background. It's not that God wanted to find out something about Abraham. That's wrong. It's that God wanted everybody to know who Abraham Avinu really is. And that's called Nitzayon because it raises the banner of Abraham Avinu and says, my faith goes this far. This is how far I'm willing to trust God. I'm willing to kill my old son. That's what it says. Um... Vayomer Elav Abraham, Vayomer Hineni. Okay, Hineni is an important word if we have time. We go through all the Rashi's. But I want to get to the next Patsuk. The next Patsuk says, the next Patsuk says, Vayomer Kachna Bincha Yichidachasher Avda Yitzchak. Kachna. What is Na? 
What? Please. Please. What does please mean? Why not? Why didn't God say to Abraham, read a cat? Because cat is a command which diminishes free will. It's like saying, you have, to, you have to do it, because I, God, said you should do it. But if God says, Kachna, it sounds to me like there's an injection of free will. Like God, God says, I remember, you could turn this down. I want you to do this, but I, you could turn it down. I mean, I don't know exactly how the relationship between Avraham and Kodesh was at that moment, but that's what I think Na, that's what I think Na means. Rashi says, you see Rashi, Kafna, Eina, Ela Lashon Bakasha. Na means please. Please do it. Amalo Bakasha, Mimcha, Amod Li Bezek Hadisayon. God implores Avram Havini, begs him. Leave, leave. Leave to God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but God so wants Avram Havini to succeed. And that's the Bechirach of Shit. And we call that Bechirach of Shit. You know, usually it's true that if God tells you to do something, you're going to do it. What? Yeah, okay, I don't know. Bechirach of Shit is not an easy uh, matter. But, but Rashi says, Na means Bakasha. And Bakasha means there's a certain amount of free will here. How it works exactly standing before God, and God says, please, can you say no? I, I don't know. But you know that's the question that that uh, many many uh, commentaries ask about uh, Matan Torah. Matan Torah. You know, the Gemara says the Gemara says that uh, God held our Sinai suspended above the Yisrael, and then said, "If you think, if you get to take the Torah, great. But if you don't accept the Torah, don't say Nazav Nishma. Whack! You're going to get smashed. You get smashed." So what's the big deal? I mean, why, why am I so happy that they accepted the Torah? I mean, even the cockroaches would accept the Torah and that kind of a deal. So Chazal said, what did Chazal say? Chazal said that in Anpurim, where it said, Kimu v'kiblu, they accepted the Torah over again of their free will. With free will. It was, there was no coercion by God. Which means, I think, that the Chachamim thought that you had to be able to accept the Torah facing the source of Yerav, of the fear of God, and you had to be able to accept the Torah facing the love of God. And the fear of God was Har Sinai, according to this line of reasoning. And the love of God was on Purim, because God didn't say that they had to accept the Torah again. They did it on their own. So this is what this is what na kachna means. Okay, and then the pasuk says, "Et bincha, et yichidcha, asher ahata, et yitzchak." Rashi said something that I can't quite fit into my conception here, but let's look at it anyway. Et bincha, you see that Rashi. So it's like, like Avram Avinu knows that this is going to end badly and he's trying to avoid understanding. He doesn't understand. So of course, well, what son were we talking about? Not the son that was driven away. 
but the son that's still at home. And you call Yishmael bin Cha. So this is a contrivance. This is Avram Avinu knows that this is going to be a tough one, and he's trying to avoid it. He says, "Et bin Cha, Amalu Shleivarigeshli, Amalu Etuchidecha." So God said, "Oh no, no, the one and only, right? The the unique one, the special one." So he says. You imagine Avram Avinu trying to avoid hearing what God has an offer offer to offer him. I love both my sons. So another, instead of God saying to Abba Avinu, take Yitzchak, he said, take a son, take a one son, take a one, you know, a special son, a loving son. He just tried to avoid saying Yitzchak until, until the rest, they ran out of other, other opportunities. Um, why didn't he say Yitzchak right away? What does that mean? He wanted Abraham, didn't want Abraham to be overwhelmed by the demand so much so that he wouldn't have to think clearly, but he wanted Abraham to be a free will actor even at this point and he wanted everybody to know that he was a free will uh, actor. With Hazuach uh, Da'ato, I love it, he would like uh, go crazy hearing that he says, like his son, Uchadei Lechavev, I love Et HaMitzvah, Uchadei Loschar, I'll call Dibur, Dibur, this is an idea that Hazal said, that, you know, let's say, let's say there's a mitzvah for which you have to do, or you could fulfill two uh, mitzvahs simultaneously. How much char do you get? The question that comes out, where did you get twice as much? Or did you get just, you did one thing, one action. Uh, why should you get more than, than one schar? So here Rashi says that since he at the end complied to all the directives that God had made, he did it. He did that. He did that. And Yitzchak, he did that so that the schar that Avram Avinu deserved to get was much greater than if God had said to him, take Yitzchak, etc. Okay, so this is, uh, this is uh, the beginning of the story. Oh, the beginning of the story starts right now. Because what is it that God said to Avram Avinu? Okay, This is the important thing for the words that determine everything about this story. What does Mahalayu Shabla Olam mean? What does it mean? The trick is that you don't know. And, and I don't know either. Because the words, the words are not perfectly clear. Even though when we learned it as children, and when we reviewed it again and again, we assume that Haleu Shabla Olam means a sacrifice. And Haleu means, as you do with a sacrifice, 
you place it upon the altar, right, up from the, from the ground. You don't sacrifice on the ground. You do shrita on the ground, but you don't sacrifice on the ground. That's not on the altar. And Allah, you know, is the name of a certain type of sacrifice. The kind of sacrifice which is burnt, right? And it's all, it's consumed. It, it is nothing left. It all goes up to heaven somehow. So Rashi says, Rashi. Rashi is really a great teacher. Rashi, you know that the Maharal says, you know the Maharal? The Maharal wrote a commentary on Rashi, a very long commentary. And it used to be published in five volumes, and then somebody put out an edition. Let's call it an edition, which means he just said everything he ever thought about in the footnotes. So there are 11 volumes. Came out in 11 volumes. So that's like a pretty big enterprise. So the Maharal said, Rashi says it's forbidden to teach children Rashi. I mean, here that's all they do. The, the only thing they teach children is little Rashi. But I'll say it's forbidden to teach children Rashi because Rashi is tremendously profound and if you teach it to children, the children will think that it's childish. That it's childish. That, that this is... This is true in schools, by the way. In most schools, those the little kids never learn anything real. They learn the children's version of it. They learn the picture book version of it. I, I don't mean to say that they don't learn anything, but they don't use the same books that their parents would use. So they know, besides whatever they learn in school, they know that they are children. And, and so the Maharal said, children will never understand the profundity of Rashi. And I'm reminded of that Maharal when I'm up to this, this statement in, um, in Rashi. See, Ba'alei Usham You see Rashi? Ba'alei Usham La'ola. Lo'amalo Shechatehu. God didn't say to, didn't say to Adam Avinu, slaughter the child. What did he say? So this is what? This is the mystery of Akedakitra. What did God tell? Avram Avinu to do. So when we started, we thought that God told Avram Avinu to sacrifice his son. Now sacrifice means, as Rashi says, you slaughter him. First thing you do is you slaughter him. Then you put him on the altar. You put him on the altar, and on that altar, he's consumed by fire. That's what we thought it meant. What does Rashi say? Bad thinking. God never said that. God never wanted that. God was not interested in that. God just said, meaning, meaning, just bring him up there. Sit him there on the altar and then go home. So if that's the case, as Rashi says, if that's the case, well, what's the point? But what, what sort of Lisa Yon is this? God says, I want you to go for three days and a little more, and then when you get to Haramoriah, Build a little altar and put your son there and then go home. What possible? What? 
No. Olav means to bring it up on a high place, right on the on the altar, but not to kill it. Not because if you put him on the altar and you don't kill him, then what is it that? What are we talking about? Why do we read this on Rosh Hashanah? I mean, what's the where's the seriousness of the of the entire enterprise? But Rashi is trying to answer a question that, of course, he has because he knows this parasha very well, and that is, if you look, if you look. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I mean, the, the interchange between Abraham and Yitzchak is also very important, but I... The point was that Abraham did not know it was not a sacrifice. Right. He did not know. No, he thought, he thought Olav was in the, in, in the meaning of <coughs> sacrifice. So, I mean, the whole thing was a mistake. No, because what was important is that Abraham agreed to do something that the Shemaim has meant, but he thought he really had to sacrifice him, and this is the thing. Yeah, but I know that somebody is fooling somebody here. Right? In other words, what did God say according to Rashi? He said, just go there. What did God say according to Abraham Abinu? He said, sacrifice your son. So Rashi is trying to, to answer a question, trying to deal with a problem. And what is the problem? The problem that Abraham Abinu had at the end of the story. I, I mean, what you say might be right. But let's just see the end, the last sukkim. It says, it says in Pasuk, uh, Pasuk Yud Alim, Vayikra Elav Malach Hashem Min HaShamayim, Vayomer Abraham Abraham, that's Chiba. You know, I like you, Abraham Abraham. Vayomer Hineni, Hineni is also one of those words, you know what I mean, I'm ready to do what God wants me to do. Hineni, all of me, take all of me. And then, By Yomer, introducing the words of the Malach. So, this means that Abu Mavino, as you say, didn't know the real shot. He didn't know what God said to him. So the angel says, I know that you're about to kill him, but don't do it. So it means it turns out, as you say, that, that the test, that the test was willingness. His willingness is so close, was so close to actually killing Yitzchak. Okay, that's good enough. And then there's another phrase, which is a sort of a repeat of that phrase. And you know that Rashi doesn't like repeating phrases. You know, he has to distinguish them somehow. So what does it say? Again, phrase number one. Phrase number two, Altas lo meuma. Don't do anything to him. What do you mean, don't do anything to him? Means don't do it. Don't do what you're about to do. What are you about to do? You're about to sacrifice him. So what is the, what's the next phrase? Means even a small thing. Don't do anything. What's the anything? That he shouldn't do. So Rashi says this. Based on Pazal, Rashi says this wonderful interpretation. This wonderful, wonderful interpretation. Uh, here, Al Tishlach. Al Tishlach is seven lines from the bottom. 
Don't take your hand, don't put out your hand to sacrifice. Amarlo. So here's Avravinu says, in Kain Lechinam Batilikam. You mean this is all just uh, a training exercise? Some, some kind of uh, army group that had to do the 40 mile hike in order to become uh, the real thing? So Avravinu said, Lechinam Batilikam. In Kain Lechinam Batilikam. So, so Avravinu says, he has this great dilemma. How could it be that, uh, that God directed him to do nothing? To go nowhere and to do nothing? He, didn't, he believed in the Malach. But he's got this... This is his existential crunch. He's, he's not worried. He was never worried about sacrificing his son. Because if he would sacrifice his son, that would be God's problem. And he had the absolute faith that God would solve that problem. His problem, Avram Avinu's problem was, how could it be that God would tell him one thing, and now the angel would tell him the opposite? That he could not fathom. Now, in spite of the fact that Rashi said, it means that it's possible to dray it out somehow. It's possible to figure it out, but it's not easy to understand what Avram Avinu is supposed to be thinking. That's his, his problem. So listen to the measures that says this. Eser lo chabalah v'otzi mimenu tzad dam. So here's Avram Avinu. He's going to solve the problem. How is he going to solve the problem? He's going to make a physical blemish in his son Yitzchak. Right? Now, Allah is that even if your eyelid is, uh, is uh, scarred, you know, from some previous story, animals get scarred for all kinds of odd reasons, so even if your eyelid is scarred, you, can, uh, uh, you can't give that as a carbon. That animal cannot be sacrificed. So, Avraham Avinu said, I'll make Yitzchak unfit for sacrifice, and then everything will be fine. It's true that God wanted me to, what did God want me to do? To sacrifice Yitzchak. But God said, it's an Allah. It follows the rules. Mm-hmm. It follows the rules of an Allah. And if I do this to him, then, then everything works out. Then, I, then, then the angel works out, and God works out, and the first command works out, and this command works out. It all works out. So Rashi says, Rashi says, I'll take it, he says, uh, is a wound. And I'll let a little bit of blood come out. And therefore, I will fulfill the original command of God, and now the new command of God. There will be, everything will be in place. I went to give the korban, but I couldn't because of a halacha, that means God's will, that such a person, animal, etc., should not be sacrificed. So he says, and Rashi goes on, it says, Amarlo, the angel says, Alta se taas lo me'uma. You see that word me'uma? Right? So you know that if you say me'uma fast, since we don't pronounce the Aleph, we don't pronounce an Aleph in, in our version of Hebrew, and in the time of Chazal, that also didn't 
pronounce the Aleph because there's a Gemara, there's a Yerushalmi that says that uh, a Shalich Tzibur, a Shalich Tzibur like Chazan, can only be a person who could distinguish Aleph and Ayin. Right? Like, uh, like Temanim, you know, can do it, and certain Svaradim can do it, but Ashkenazim can't do it at all. And so the inference is that in Babel, they couldn't do it at all. Right? And in Eretz Yisrael, there were still remnants of people who were able to pronounce Hebrew distinguishing the Aleph and the Ay. Uh, that's, that's pretty much disappeared from Ashkenazi, in the Ashkenazic world. And uh, uh, we don't distinguish. So if you read the word Me'uma as one word, and you kind of swallow the letters a little bit, so it turns out that the word sounds like Mum. Mum. It says, Al-Taslo Mum. Don't put this wound into, into uh, Yitzchak. So it turns out, it turns out that uh, um, they're a little confused. Here. Now, what are the people in the world supposed to... We said that the word Nisa, okay, Nisa to Abraham, is also an attempt to present the personality of Avram Avinu to the, entire, to the entire world. Okay, let's stop here for a minute and turn the page. Turn the page here, Mofsikim, the beginning of Paragimel, beginning of Paragimel and Breshit, which also we didn't learn together, but let's see. Anachasha Yaru Mikol Chayatasateh, Asher Asa Asher Elokim, Bayom El Haishan, Avki Amar Elokim, Lotochlu Mikol Eitzagan. And, you know, you had this story. You remember the story? The snake, the woman, the man. It didn't turn out well. This was not a great, a great achievement. That's Pasuk Aleph. The Pasuk Bet. Patomer Aishal Anachash. The free Eitzagant Anochal. God said we can eat all the fruit we want, but the free Eitzagant Amar Lokim Loto Chlu Mimeno Veloti Gubo Pentumutun. Okay, you can eat whatever you want, but you can't eat what we call the eight hadas. Like that, you can't eat. Oh, I'm sorry. Pasuk Gimel. Mepriya eitz Hashem b'tochagan amalokim lo tochlumi menu velo tigu bo pentemutun. What does she say to the snake? We can't eat it, and we can't touch it. Where, is, well, where did I can't touch it come from? What do you mean you can't touch it? What? She put a, a sanitary barrier to make sure that they won't eat it. So if I can't touch it, I certainly will not be able to eat it. So she had a... How did you say? Yes. A a A takana. An addition. So what does Rashi say? That's good. Very good. What does Rashi say? What does Rashi say? What? Lotigubo. Hosifa al hatzibui. She added to the command. God said, don't eat it. And she said, don't touch it. Don't even uh, uh, touch it. <coughs> so, just one second. Hosifa al hatzibui. Lefikas bali day geira on. 
What did she do? You know that in the Torah, in the Torah there's a special law. There's a negative commandment called Baal Tosif. That you're not allowed to add, not allowed to add what the Torah, what's in the Torah. And you're also not allowed to subtract from the Torah. So, if the Torah says you should sit in the sukkah seven days, so you can't say, you can't say, oh, that sounds like a great idea. Let's add a day. We'll sit in the sukkah more than the Torah wants us to sit in the sukkah. We show how devoted we are. Can't do that. That's called Baal Tosif. That's called Baal Tosif. Similarly, there's another transgression. This is mentioned several times in the beginning of the Varim. In the beginning of the book of the Varim, Lo Tigra. You can't say, you can't say six days sitting in the sukkah is enough. You know, six days, we, we did it. We, we did what God wanted us to do, pretty much. So six days is enough. You can't do anything. So according to Rashi, according to Rashi, she transgressed. She transgressed by saying, by saying, you're not allowed to touch it. Then we know what happened. The snake gave her a push and she held on to the, to the tree and she realized so what did she realize? So it can't be what you said. It can't be that she was machmers. No machmers. Mm-hmm. A chumrah. It wasn't a chumrah. Because if it was a chumrah, she would know that it's a chumrah. That of course if they said to the pusher on the tree, nothing's going to happen. Because she invented it. But, but when he pushed her on the tree, when he pushed her on the tree, what did she say? I don't know what she said, but she must have said, oh, I didn't die, so I guess I could eat it also. In other words, what happened to Chava? Chava had the wrong shot. She misunderstood. She misunderstood. What did she misunderstand? She misunderstood what a gzairah is. She thought that a gzairah becomes integrated into the Torah itself, into what God wants. It's like when God talks to you, it's like, it's like a puzzle. You don't know what God really means. So you try to figure it out. And when you figure it out, you say, that's what God really said. So Chava's mistake was not that she was machmir. Machmir, machmir. You know, that's like a big thing today. Today, it's very, very big to be machmir. Because it doesn't bother anybody. So why not? Why not be machmir? And what's the difference? You get a, a can of, uh, of peas that has one hachshel on it or four. It's the same peas. So you might as well get four. Because you have extra. Like, you know, when you go to, when you make your claim for Olam Haman, you say, I ate peas with four hachshel. <laughs> and hopefully that'll get you there. So, Chava made a mistake. What was her mistake? What was Chava's mistake? She thought that you could restate what God said, and that would be what God said. In other words, she transgressed Baltigra. Baltosif, sorry, she transgressed the love of Baltosif. What did Baltosif say? You're not allowed to enter the Torah. Now we know that there are endless numbers of things that we do that are added, that are not like written in the Torah. We made them up, we added them. So what does the Isur, what does the prohibition of Baltosif say? 
you're not allowed to mix up what God said and what you added. But once you think that what you added is what God said, then you're over the Isra Baal, Baal Tosif. So the story of Chava is the story of misrepresentation. She didn't read correctly. She didn't listen correctly. She didn't hear what God said. The story of Avram Avinu, the story of Avram Avinu is a story that tells us that you can't always know what God meant. You can't know that. God said, And Avram Avinu was confident that it meant one thing, and then it turned out that it meant something else. So, so it seems to me, but if you'd ask, why are these stories in the Torah? And I think I mentioned once that the Ramban at the end of the Varim, the Ramban says, asked the question, why do we have to know the story of Gan Eden? And we got kicked out of Gan Eden. And why do we have to know that Adam, Harisha, and Chava were kicked out of Gan Eden? Why couldn't the story of the world we live in begin after Ghanaian. But, you know, we're in the world. So, we can say, Adam and Chava, they were in the world. They say they're in Ghanaian, and they get kicked out of Ghanaian. So, the Ramban says, the Ramban says that there's a teleology in the Torah. The Torah wants us to know that everything is going someplace. And where is it going to? It's going to Ghanaian. Like, like, we'll get back into Ghanaian eventually. Where that is, and how that is, and what that is, a different matter. But eventually we will get back to Ghanaian. That's what the Ramban, that's what the Ramban says. What is the story of Akedat Yitzchak? What is the story of Akedat Yitzchak? And again, the story of Chava and the snake. And they tell us that you can't do it without Tarashabal Peh. There has to be, there has to be an authentic interpretation. Because everything has to be interpreted. There is nothing, there is nothing that lives on its own. There's no text that can be understood without a tradition of interpretation. So, let me say, this is true for Shakespeare, Lahabdil, this is true for Homer, but you know, when I was uh, when I was younger, <laughs> it seems to me not as be a long time ago, I studied um, Sumerian. I studied Sumerian, and I wanted to impress my wife. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, we were married. That she had, I never since we got married. I was maybe I'm able to impress her. <laughs> what? You're married. <laughs> so, uh, so I studied Sumerian. Sumerian is a language for which there is no tradition of interpretation. There is no one has been reading Sumerian text for three thousand years. Like we just started. No tradition of interpretation. You to read a text with no tradition of interpretation. Nothing. You don't get it. You don't get a thing. Not a thing out of it. You need a tradition of interpretation, right? But then she could have been the first one to interpret, and she interpreted wrong. Yeah. So, 
What's the difference? difference. I don't know if there's a difference. My question was, why do I have to know these stories? Why do I have to present it to me in this way? And because we are the people who receive the Torah, we are the people who receive the Torah, we have to understand that the Torah and the interpretation of the Torah are the same. There's no distinction between the Torah itself and the interpretation. We learned that from Chava and from, from Avram Avinu. It's a legacy that we have. We tell the story again and again, and we know that, that uh, the tradition of interpretation is a necessary feature of understanding what God said. And we know that throughout history there were always people who were in denial of the tradition of interpretation. They call them Sudukim, and then they call them Baitusim. They're not exactly the same. Sadduk and Baitus, and then there were the Karaim. And in modern times, in modern times, the, uh, you know, the non-Orthodox movements, they grew up uh, partially in Germany, and then in America, and uh, they didn't accept the tradition of interpretation. They said, we can do it ourselves. We can, we can tell you, we'll tell you what we think the Torah is saying. So Avram Avinu taught us that even Avram Avinu, you know, Avram Avinu, the Chazal said, kept the Tariyad Mitzvot. He kept Tariyad Mitzvot. He, he, he even Erevet Chumin, you know, Avram Avinu kept every Mitzvah de Rabbanan. So now you tell me, how did he keep a Mitzvah de Rabbanan? I mean, uh, there's no Rabbanan. There's no Mitzvah de Rabbanan. So the first thing you have to say to yourself is, I can't believe that Chachamim didn't know that. And they must have also known that. So when they say that Avraham kept all the mitzvot, it meant that he, his level of sensitivity to God's will was such that even if there wasn't an explicit mitzvah, he did what he thought or he felt that God would want him to do, and that includes all the things that the Rabbanan were about to, about to, to generate and to and to create. So we learn from Avram Avinu the problem of the text. We're going to get the Torah, right? Yom HaShishi is the sixth day of Sivan, and the creation of the world, according to that Medrash, ended at the time of, of Matan Torah. He knows that the Torah was not given to Adam HaRishon. The Torah was given to B'nai Yishon because a lot of time had to pass to teach us what we had to know about the Torah. So one of the things we're learning from Chava and from Avram Avinu is that interpretation is not simple or obvious. And that you can keep coming back again and again to the same text and trying to understand it. And that's why we see that sometimes Rashi seems to contradict himself. And he says, Vaaleu Shavla Olam means uh, that in the world of God, God never wanted Avram Avinu to slaughter his own son. In the world of Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu said, so why am I here? What did I come to do? I can't have been mistaken, but he was mistaken about the pshat, about what God really wanted. And that lesson for us is, we have to maintain our connection to the tradition of interpretation. I didn't want to say it, but that we call that Torah Shabbat, right? The Gemara, the, 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 all the commentaries throughout the ages represent the correct interpretation of the text, even though, at times, it may seem to us to be a little bit 
difficult. Have a good Shabbos.